this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The San Diego Seals somehow do it again. They find a rookie goaltender, they put him in net, and they come away with a win. Corey Small and the Philadelphia Wings dropped a heartbreaker to Albany, but the kitten is looking forward to a double home. Plus, we got box bets and a quiet week eight. All that and more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! of the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. I am Tim Jenner. What's going on, my brother? Congratulations on your TSN debut. You were fantastic. Thanks a lot, man. It was a, it was a lot of fun. John Abbott and Ashley Docking made my life a lot easier. They did great. Um, it was just as weird as I anticipated with no fans in the stands. Um, but from what I've heard um, through other people, I know Brad Challoner mentioned it on Lax Class and just some other people said that, uh, you know, the crew, the production crew, Peter uh, Buchanan, they did a great job making it seem like there wasn't a lot of, you know, there like there was no fans in the stands, a lot of tight shots. So yeah. folks at home didn't really feel it. And that's all that matters. But heck of a game regardless if there was a sold out crowd or no fans really solid game we are i think three for four now on tsn games being within one goal um we have been extremely lucky so far um what was the what was maybe the toughest thing for you you know for people let's you know remove the lens what was the sort of toughest part for you during that broadcast to maybe get used to you know what i think it's just the the fact that you don't really get that energy from the crowd and you you know obviously you hype yourself up because you're excited to see you know a great lacrosse game but just the fact that you don't have the cheers of the fans you don't have the fans booing the refs when you know a goal is overturned but the one thing I will say that was kind of enjoyable is you got to hear a lot of the chatter Mm -hmm. on the floor Um, you could hear some of the stuff from the ref because the arena was empty but all in all, I mean, it's still at the end of the day felt like you were just calling a lacrosse game. And I think if the game was a dud on the floor, maybe it would have become a little more apparent in the booth that, you know, it wasn't a ruckus. Crowd. Yeah, that's true. I think because it was such an intense game with so many ebbs and flows and 
craziness within the game guys going off guys scoring their first goal with the rookie there was a lot of energy on the floor mm-hmm. so i think that probably brought our energy up um but man I, now that i say that how sweet would it have been you know having fans in that barn with right. so many big moments yeah and there would have been a good balance of rock how and thunderbird fans oh, yeah. right it would have been a good oh, yeah. balance um, I think it wanna... probably would have been, I was going to say, I think it probably would be one of the best crowds that, that yeah. uh, Hamilton, uh, you know, Toronto would get on Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. They, it would probably would probably would have been. Yeah. Um, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at P Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. You can also follow the show and clips and highlights uh, on Instagram uh, at OTCB podcast. This is the off the crossbar podcast. Uh, hopefully you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple music. Uh, thanks to all the fellas at the lacrosse flash podcast network. A um, couple points of note, uh, Vancouver Warriors announced today that they're moving their February tw- uh, 11th game to February 12th to help accommodate the Vancouver Canucks uh, Warriors roughnecks this weekend is postponed. So Sad Ted doesn't get to call a TSN game this weekend. And we already knew this, but Bandits and Thunderbirds that was supposed to be this weekend has been postponed as well. So uh, we're down a few games. We're moving a few games, but we've made it to week eight, Patty. Um, let's kind of look back at week seven. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, there were so many great storylines, but I think for me, the biggest one was, and it's a storyline that we even went back to the week before that. Just as you and I said that the thing that is going to hold (laughs) this league back from expanding is not enough good young goaltenders. And once again, Justin Getty and Troy Holichuk prove to us that there are still some young goalies around the league that could play in the MLL. We got to start with, with Justin Getty because that was an incredible story. He wasn't even on a roster 48 hours before the game. (laughs) And he was unbelievable, especially early on. He made some big stops. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, we knew we've seen his body of work in junior. Um, and we've known he's a good junior goalie. We know, you know, that the potential is there. But I'll be honest, when I saw that announcement, you know, we kind of heard through the grapevine that something like this could happen. We didn't know about him, but we knew that they were going to probably be down two goalies. They were, you know, searching all over the place for another goalie, maybe trying to make a trade. Immediately, I was thinking, this is the perfect get-right game for Saskatchewan. Yeah. Build an ad on some sorry goalie. And I thought, this is it. This is so Sask. They're going to... And they scored in their first shot. Like, it was all right there for them. And Getty just, you know, settled down. And he looked awesome. He looked great. I don't know what... San Diego does with him do they just keep him as a practice roster goalie or what they plan on doing but if they end up releasing him there's going to be another team that's going to pick him up because yeah I, I I talk about this uh on the um on coast to coast this weekend they'll be on NLL socials as the week goes on and I said you know what I think they keep getting I think they keep O-Rig and unfortunately which would put Moose Winery on the outs but Brad made the the, the comment that well, I would think that maybe teams are calling for Justin yet. And instead of releasing him, that Patty Merrill might be able to get some assets out of that. But I thought as good as Moose Winery will be someday, he still has a long way to go. And the fact that the Seals didn't feel confident enough 
in him and his ability to start him in either of those games shows to me that they need to find someone else. And yes, Ulrich can be there, but when they put him in, he kind of struggled a little bit, but I kind of like the idea of keeping Justin Getty in that program, but with the amount of teams struggling in net right now, I'm sure Pat Merrill's phone has been buzzing with teams trying to want to get access to Justin Getty. I think also maybe it's a little bit of protection. If you keep Justin Getty now come next year with Vegas, you kind of protect yourself because if you let him go, then you're, I don't want to say almost guaranteeing, but you're making Ulrig a lot tastier for Vegas to pick up as their yep. you know, future goalie. And if, it, and if they get Getty, Getty then they, Getty being a Western guy, maybe they take Getty. Or they take Ulrig and then, oh, well, we have, we have Getty, who's yeah, just exactly. only a year younger. Like, I mean, if that, if that story doesn't happen the week before, we might be talking about how he was one of the youngest goaltenders yeah. to, you know, to, to start in the game. So Unbelievable story there, no doubt. But I think we have to flip the to the other, um, you know, debut. And it wasn't a start, and it was still a young goaltender, a goaltender that played junior A lacrosse just this past summer. Troy Holichuk came in, Whoa. and he was phenomenal. He stood what on his head, a performance, and he settled his team down. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You thought maybe you know, you know, Nick Rose didn't have a start very, you know, conducing of Nick Rose. And I, I don't know, it just, it, he just didn't seem like he had, it looked like Dylan Ward when Colorado played Vancouver, just something wasn't there. The shooters had the right book on them and they gave Nick the pull real quick. I thought maybe, you know, give him three, four minutes, sell down. Troy would come in, make some stops, keep rolling. But Matt Sawyer trusting the young kid, eight goals against 27 saves, a 0.771 save percentage. Like that is a stellar line for any goalie let alone a kid seeing his first real minutes. And the thing that you could argue that might be more impressive, yes, you know, Getty signed, you know, less than 48 hours, doesn't really, you know, doesn't even have a training camp. Um, Orig finds out pretty close to the game. You know, he's a youngster. For for me, though, this is a, a kid who was a third string goalie to start the year. He moved as the backup. Um you know, when Riley Hutchcraft goes on the COVID protocol list, they kept him as the backup just probably due to the fact that he's seen more rubber. He's had practice and maybe they were foreseeing something in practice that Nick Rose wasn't seeing the ball Mm -hmm. well. And they said, you know what, we need him ready to go, but he comes in cold. He comes in against a Halifax team that's shooting the lights out. And I agreed with you. I said on the broadcast, you know, maybe they're just doing this to, you know, allow Nick Rose to gather himself, wake up the team and bring Nick Rose back in, but you know, kudos to Matt Sawyer, Bruce Cod to trust the defense, trust youngster Troy Hollerchuk, who stood his ground, played fantastic, and has now proved that you know what, he's going to be able to play in this league. The the thing, and we we kind of alluded to it, is now we've seen Hollerchuk play great, Getty's played great, O'Riggs played great. Um, you bring back Riley Hutchcraft into the rock full. Once he comes back off COVID, there are going to be some teams calling for any of those four goaltenders. Absolutely. If, if, and and it'll be very interesting to see in the next few weeks, what moves are made, because we're going to talk about it. There's going to be some teams that need to 
kind of have their hand hovering over that panic button and decisions are going to have to be made. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, we can talk about it, but there is a few teams that, you know, one team particularly, I won't give it away, but I think they have to think about grabbing a goaltender. But the next point that we got to talk about, Teddy, is we talked about the game already. We talked about the goaltender. But San Diego, like (laughs) team of, I tweeted this out. Do they not have team of destiny vibes? Yeah. And I mentioned this and I kind of talked about all year. It just seemed like even that year, that six months or whatever that I was working with them, everything that I felt around that team was they're doing everything they can to win this year for Brody Merrill. Mm -hmm. And this weekend again, proved it. Everyone has bought in. It's next man up. It's, it's whatever it takes. Do your job. And guys are having unbelievable games at unbelievable moments when all signs point to them having an, a bad game. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know for a fact, just based on, you know, my involvement with cool bet, you could see the money coming in on, on <laughs> Saskatchewan and the over, uh, I mean, the over did hit, but um, you could see the money coming in on Saskatchewan because people were like, Oh, well, pfft. This is, you know, Mark Matthews is going to light this young goaltender up. And you know what? Say that offense is so high powered. There's no way they're going to be able to keep up. This is a must win for Sask. But, you know, like Dane Doby goes down with a leg injury in the second half. He's basically only playing man up. Yeah. He's still shooting the lights up and then limping to the bench. Yeah. Then you get Westberg stepping up. I think maybe the biggest turnaround for them has been Jeremy Noble. Absolutely. He's averaging six points a game right now. Like he's on pace for career numbers and assists. I think he's averaging just under four, four assists a game. He's averaging spot on six points a game. The fact that he is playing, like you could see it when he scored that goal, the fire and passion he's playing. We haven't seen that since his early Colorado days. And when his time with Colorado sort of was coming to an end, he didn't have that. I think there was a lot going on in Jeremy's life that just took his attention. And even in that first stint with San Diego, he he wasn't quite all the way back. Hashtag Jeremy Noble is back. Yeah, he's back and in a big way. Uh, There hasn't been a game where he's had less than four assists. Yeah. Like he he is the facilitator. He is the guy that I don't want to say runs the offense runs through him because with, you know, Westberg, Dane Doby, you know, Austin Stotts, even Mac O'Keefe. You know, Trey LeClaire, these guys, like... Do you know how many guys so, you just leave? <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, this offense is disgusting. So and, we, you and you know, Casey like, Jackson hasn't played in the last couple of games. Like, exactly. So you can't ridiculous. say there's just one guy that the offense goes through. Yeah. But with that being said, he does seem like the guy that starts everything off. Like, even if he's not setting up that goal, he's he's the guy in on that secondary assist. He's always yeah. involved in the play. And this, I, I agree, this is the best lacrosse that we've seen him play in a long time. And I agree it's that fiery competitive nature that we're seeing coming out of him. And it's awesome to see. And if, you know, if San Diego, you know, wants to continue to play and pick up these big victories when, you know, they're missing half their defense, they're playing with a fourth string goalie, he's going to need to be big. And there's no doubt that he was. And I mean, Comeback player of the year, possibly. Possibly. Um, they're off for a couple of weeks, so Patty Merrill's got some time 
to make some decisions of what he's going to do with his roster. But, you know, this is a, a team that is pro- easily, maybe easily, probably most likely the best team in the West as it is right now. And the last two games they've won um, without their number one goaltender in the last game, they won without their, their captain. Like it is just phenomenal. But we talk about guys stepping up and having great games. Dan Dawson has been doing it for his entire career. He has now played 300 of them in the national lacrosse league, only the second player ever to do it. He's now second all time in points and he is 18 assists away from breaking John Tavares's record. Easily the greatest right-hander our sport has ever seen first ballot hall of famer. And maybe when it comes time, he's on Mount Rushmore. Does he, does he get up there? I certainly think it's a possibility. And I think that if you look at his full body of work with the summer, the pro game, the longevity, the intangibles, because the thing with Dan Dawson, it's more than just the points, the accolades and the championships. A lot of it is, you know, him away from the floor, his his leadership abilities, his, you know, how good of an ambassador he is to the game. Like there's just so much more to Dan Dawson than just what he does on the floor. And I think when you, you know, put all of that together, yeah, you have to absolutely consider it. And are there more talented players than, than Dan Dawson that have played this game? Are there no more skilled players? I'm sure there is, but when you take everything, it is really hard not to have him in that conversation for the top four, because also, Hey, he is a pretty damn good lacrosse player while you look mm-hmm. at it too. And mm-hmm. just the way his career went, you know, late draft pick, start his career playing out the back door. And Ashley Docking put it great saying like, he's like a Tom Brady of, you know, uh, of the NLL long career just continues, you know, to prove us wrong. And I don't even want to say prove us wrong, but keep us, you know, thinking like, okay, maybe he's slowing down and sure. He's not, the dangerous Dan Dawson that we saw a few years ago, but when the game's on the line, who's the guy who scored and tied the game up? Who's the guy that's demanding the ball and scoring huge goals, you know, just out muscling guys who are half his age and he's putting the ball in the back of that when the team needs the most, it's Dan Dawson. And it's remarkable to see what he's been able to do over such a long period of time. And I think that that fourth quarter the way he kind of made sure his team wasn't going to blow this game and I mean they ended up they ended up blowing it but he had a bunch of chances in overtime to even end it and you know he wanted nothing more to come out with a win and it's the perfect way because when we were talking to him you know before the broadcast earlier in that week about the you know game 300 about him possibly passing Junior, he's very grateful you know, gave praise to a lot of players, coaches, training staff throughout the career. But at the end of the conversation, he said, started talking about how important this game was for the team and for, mm-hmm. for going forward. So, yes, he was thinking about how great it is for himself and what he's achieved for the career. But at the end of the day, he was just caring about that W and, and how and his that's, team could turn things around. Yeah, and that's what speaks, you know, always speaks volumes about Dan Dawson is his ability just to 
put everything aside and just realize that the biggest importance is what is best for the team. And it's just been the way he has been throughout his entire career, um, no matter where he has played, team first, personal goals and accolades second, but always the hardest work guy. First on, first off, just um, one of the greats uh, our game has ever seen. And I, I don't want to say he is underrated, but he kind of has an underrated vibe to him. Yeah, I am think, I way I off think... in saying that? Like, like when people talk about the greats, they 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 say Grant, they say Tavares, they say the Gates. You know, they mention the Koloskis of the world. But you know, I don't know how many people will say Dan Dawson, like maybe in their top five guys. I I mean, when you put it that way, absolutely. I don't think maybe he gets the credit that he deserves, and I think maybe it's just because of the longevity of his career. He's been playing so long. He's been playing on so many different teams. So maybe that's why, but like, I mean, everything I that I said about him as a player, him as a person, him as a leader, leader, like that's for me, that's why I think he is one of the best and the best righty that the game has seen so far. And, you know, you can't tell the story of, the national lacrosse league without talking about Dan Dawson. That's why he's a hall of famer. That's why he's a legend of the game. And that's why I think he should be in the conversation with those guys. And like I said, he's maybe not as skilled as some of those guys are, but he's a tremendous athlete and the intangibles and the playmaking ability and how smart he is. All of that just encompasses how special of a player he he is. All right. Let's keep things moving. uh, As the rock fall uh, in overtime, to Halifax, Steph LeBlanc with that game winner coming off of what 34 days, 36 days without a game. How impressive does that win rank for what Halifax did? Or, or, or look- conversely, is it a game they should have done better having chased Nick Rose? Well, I think just talking with some of the guys and some of the coaching staff, I think it was a they're never going to be upset with the, the, you know, the result. And I think, I think the, the whole body of work, they're very, I don't want to say disappointed with, but they believe that, you know, the time off certainly hurt them. Mm -hmm. The wheels, they think that the wheels in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, late third quarter, it fell apart for them. And, they think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, it's that, that layoff, they came out so fired up and so fast that they kind of gassed themselves at the end. So yeah, you think it probably should have been more comfortable that you chase Rose, you get to a young goaltender. Um, but for, for them, they feel like that, you know, at the end of the day, the wheels fell off and they were able to grind back, win in overtime, stay undefeated, you know, get another week off and then get back to it you know, the following week with a big, tough challenge, a, a long road trip to Albany. But I think they're, they're never going to be ups, you know, upset that they're 3-0, and but they definitely know that there are some things they need to work on going forward. Um, and I think you got to give a lot of credit to the man in between the pipes, um, the king of the hill, Warren Hill. He kept them in there when the wheels started to fall off for sure. Uh, Panther City finally has their first win as a franchise, and it took a good Victoria boy and Patrick Dodds uh, and an overtime winner. It was the third 
longest overtime game or something like that in National Lacrosse League history. Um, Dodsey now leads all rookies in goals and points. He's tied with Trey LeClaire in assists. But this is a Tracy Kluski-led team that is just as gritty as they come. And these are going to be the types of games they're going to play all year long. I truly think that game against Vancouver was the home opener. Vancouver just caught them off on a bad night. But every other game, they have been in close. And it was only a matter of time before they got that win. This team just continues to impress me. And I mean, not nothing, absolutely nothing against, you know, the collective group of the players. But when you look at that roster, like, you know, they have, they don't really have one or two guys that, you know, jump off the page as, you know, superstars. I mean, Patrick Dodds might be one in the making, um, a guy like Matt Hossack, who we didn't see last game, he could become, you know, a star defender. But looking at this roster, um, you know, there's it's it's not a team that overwhelms you, but them all together as a collective group, like mm-hmm. how deep they are, they don't really have too many glaring, true, true weaknesses. They won't overwhelm you with much, but they're just a solid group that's so well coached, that works so hard, and they absolutely love being the underdog. Yeah. They probably absolutely love that sound bite that I just gave them that <laughs> it's not an overwhelming group, but they're a team that is motivated right now to prove everyone wrong that they're not the worst team in the league, that they're a team that can compete for a playoff spot. And the way they've been playing, why the hell not? Mm-hmm. Like this is a team that that just from start to finish, they don't give up. They work so hard. And that's a hundred percent this coaching staff that has put this culture, you know, from the first from the jump with this mm-hmm. training camp and all the way through. And they're gonna be a fun team to watch for a long time. When you they get a couple of pieces next year with with Stotts and with Donville, this team is going to be scary. Yeah, it I is think, going to be scary. Yeah, I think they they can focus on maybe adding some back end pieces, but and maybe a, a a big lefty. But I think their their team really is starting to round out. They're off this weekend. Their next game against Saskatchewan. Who knows what that rush team is going to look like in a couple of weeks' time? But that'll be a big moment for both those clubs. Panther City could imagine this when we get to the month of February that it is possible for Panther City to be head ahead of the Saskatchewan Rush in the West Endings. <laughs> like, blow my mind that I that would ever be a thought of what could happen. But also in that game, we didn't get the Orly Bowl that we thought we would get at the start. No. We eventually mm. got it. Boo, Dan Lattisor. However, I was, you know, kind of critical. Why would they start Goa Abrams? Well, Stephen Orleman had actually started their last two games for them. And he had struggled. Maybe they just felt that it was time to give Gola a shot. But if you're going to go out and you're going to sign Stephen Orleman off of the practice roster for, from Georgia and state that he is the future of your organization, you got to continue putting him in these situations and in these games. Because I think if he starts, that's a different game. Yeah. And that's, that's the two different things. And that's what I said with Panther city. You know, whistle blows, their balls to the wall. They're they're battling for loose balls. They're firing shots on net. And it looked like, you know, the Riptide were a little bit sleepy to start. And Go Abrams was a little bit sleepy to start. Next thing you know, you blink and it's 4 nothing. 
And yeah, they ended up, you know, mounting a comeback, sending it into overtime. But you got to think like, you know, if Orleman's in there, maybe he makes one or two of those saves that doesn't go in and it's a two nothing game or, you know, even a one nothing game. Like it's a lot of what ifs. And I'm sure the coaching staff is, is probably thinking of that as well. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously you and I don't see what they see. There's obviously something that is showing them that Steven Orleman is not ready to be that guy. Because if he was that guy, they would have put him into that situation. Yeah. And that's what leads me to believe that I think Jim Beltman's going to be knocking on some of these teams' doors saying, like, can I get a Getty? You know, can yeah. I get a Troy Holichuk? And yes, you could argue, like, oh, well, they only played one game. But, like, even if you bring him in, like, that's now co- competition between three goalies. Mm-hmm. And that's going to push those other guys because – you know, if Abrams now has another guy on his back or, or Orland, these guys like now there's that sense of urgency and it's early in the year, but you don't want to panic. You don't want to hit that panic button. You don't want to see show that, you know, you're desperate, but there has to be some urgency in this team right now. Uh, uh, I, I agree 100%. Uh, and I, I've been on record since the start of the year that their goaltending was going to be their biggest issue. And we saw that their offense can put the ball in the net. You know, when they're healthy, when Teets out there, like that reappearing, disappearing goal that he scored where he just basically backed through two defenders um, and scored the, the the goals he scored coming off the bench where he's reaching far side and somehow was able to just whip it short side top corner. Like he is phenomenal. He's averaging six points a game. Like there's no doubt that he is going to be good. And there's no doubt that along with Gibby and along with Callum Crawford and the other offensive bodies that they have out there, you know, uh, Kieran is starting to come around. Fox is starting to come around. They're good. I just don't know if the goaltending is there yet. So we're going to go into which team is going to panic the most. Is it Toronto still needing a lefty, even though Zach Mann's had seven points and they need to be healthy? Is it Sask, who's just a complete anomaly right now? Or is it New York, who's has a minus eight goal differential, but are 0-4? For me, I think... And I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it two different ways. One, I will say, I think there is more panic in this Riptide team to do something, whether that's sign another goalie, go out and just maybe make a splash on defense just to switch things up. Although I don't think the defense in the transition is the issue. I seem to agree with you that there's just no consistency in between the pipes, but who is most likely to make that quote unquote panic move? I think it's Saskatchewan. And I don't necessarily think it's a panic move, but it's a move that, you know, Darren Keenan, we, 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 we know he said it. I'm not panicking, but I, I, I'm not afraid to make a move. Yeah. And it's quite evident that offense is just not clicking. And yes, you know what? We should have seen some sort of decline knowing that you're losing Marty Dinsdale and you're losing Ben McIntosh. Ben McIntosh was one of the best inside scorers, one of the best players away from the ball in the game. You lose him and then you lose a very underrated gritty forward who knows the system really well in Dinsdale. And that affects your offense greatly. And Mallory and Courier, they're fine NLL players. They're, they're NLL players. They're players that can be very effective on other teams. 
But right now, they are just not fitting into this lineup. They're not fitting into the offense. And I think Keenan and I think this entire staff are recognizing that. And I think one of them are going to go. I think there's going to be a trade. I don't know what who will be. Yeah. But something has to give. Yeah. And, and you know, as much, you know, light gets Sean on shoot, you know, he hasn't been bad, right? Like he has the, the thing with him and it's sort of the issue with Mike Poulin in Georgia is they're making like the way those two defenses play, especially Saskatchewan, they will, they want to dictate where you shoot from. Mm-hmm. And when they are giving up the shots, they want to give up, but those shots are going in. Those are deflating for a defense. So deflating. So I'm not saying Adam shoot is the issue, but what's the hurt in going to Pete Dubensky? You got to try something, right? What's the hurt when you, we've seen Holichuk, Getty, O'Rig come in cold, no minutes. Why not try a, a, a dunkery, right? Like, I don't know if he's ready, but we probably could have said that about any of these young kids that have gone in. I don't, like I said, I don't think shoot is the issue. I don't think the defense is the issue. I just think that's a confidence thing. And it's deflating when you don't get those saves when you need them. And I think about the Westberg goal where he's running up floor and throws a bouncer that skips by or the Mac O'Keefe goal where he's three strides inside the center circle and scores. Those are goals that are backbreaking for a team's morale. If you make those saves, everything's fine. It's a confidence builder. It gives everybody energy. So yes, I think Derek Keenan needs to go make a trade to improve his offense, but I also think he needs to get off the Adam shoot train and use one of those other guys that are behind him to try and find a little bit of consistency within the, uh, the competitive nature and the confidence in his group. Um, We never talked about the Buffalo game, um, but the bandits are a wagon. Uh, Their offense is just ridiculous. Um, I'm glad they have a week off because I think everybody just wants them to cool down a bit. (laughs) Yeah. But again, with Georgia, it's sort of the same thing. Mike Poole is just not making those long outside shot saves that he normally makes. And it's unfortunate. So um, you're kind of on the Saskatchewan panic button. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, one stat before we move on from this, um, I found kind of interesting. New York is outscoring teams in the second half, 29-21. Is that a, to steal a line from uh, our boy Tim McCall, uh, sensational stat or a meaningless number? Ooh. I think it's a sen- sensational stat. I mean, the way you I look at it is, could you imagine if they didn't always have to play from behind from behind if they started on time if they you know didn't go down for nothing to a team like panther city if they don't fall asleep you know against a team like georgia early on like this is it this is just the for a team that is coached by a guy like dan latisor who is Mm -hmm. you know a, a consummate professional a guy that has won so many championships a guy who's so intense you wonder like, it's okay. It can't be the coaching staff, uh, you know, that's not getting these guys ready. Is it just the players are, you know, are they, what do they need to do? There's mm-hmm. got to give something's got to give because I will say that is a sensational stat. 
Thank you very much. I found that thanks to Rod Benson, the NLL stat guy for the stat pack. Um, all right, let's get to Corey Small. Uh, him and the Philadelphia Wings lost a heartbreaker uh, this past weekend, but they have been on a roll. They're one of the top teams in the National Lacrosse League, Eastern Division, and the team that many see as a powerhouse in the National Lacrosse League overall. If the playoffs were to start right now, they'd be the fourth place team, uh, third place team in the East. So uh, they're in a good spot. They've uh, got a big weekend coming up. A rare home and home. We'll talk to the man they call a kitten next. It's Corey Small, one-on-one, right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Joined now by Corey Small of the Philadelphia Wings after a tough loss to the Albany Firewolves over the weekend. Uh, a chance to get right back at it. because They have two games this weekend. A rare double home for the Philadelphia Wings. Smallsy, how are you, brother? Patty, Patty, I'm good. How are you guys doing? We are great. Um, are, are you, I know Patty is sort of surviving. Are you surviving the snow? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's crazy. Like, uh, I think I, I, I heard most snowfall in a day since 1977, <laughs> uh, which is unbelievable. I uh, stepped out of the, the house on Monday to shovel the driveway and I, I didn't know what I was getting into. It was about two and a half, three feet of snow out there. So I didn't have to really do a, a, a big weight workout that day as I got it mostly in the morning shoveling. <laughs> yeah, we, we got it pretty bad here in the GTA, but just that lake effect snow you guys always get, uh, you know, in and around St. Catharines. It, you guys always get pounded just a little bit more than us here. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I, I can't, like, well, obviously, 1977, I wasn't alive. And I, was, <laughs> I remember talking to my wife and saying, I don't recall ever having this much snow here. So, um, I guess I was proven right by the news that day. <laughs> uh, before we get into the wings and the National Lacrosse League, I, I don't know if a lot of people know or maybe some people have forgotten, but you went to the University of Albany and you had three uh, good years there. Um, you also got to play with Merrick Thompson, um, a star that shone too bright too soon. And unfortunately, uh, due to some cushion issues, never really got to see the heights of his career. But what were those early Albany days like? Uh <laughs> They were, they were awesome. We had a really strong team, um, especially my second year there. Uh, we, you know, our starting attack, we had Merrick and then we had Frank Reseteritz who, um, you know, first round draft pick in the NLL. Um, he was a Torton finalist that year too, but you know, Merrick was kind of like the heart and soul of that team. Um, he, he led Albany in scoring pretty much every year he was there. And uh, yeah, he was, he was an incredible mentor. Like even after leaving school, um, when I went and played with the Toronto Nationals and, you know, having him as kind of a guy that played in the same position as me as somebody I could kind of look up to and kind of feed information off of. Um, yeah, he was, I mean, he's just, you know, first star guy. He's, he's an incredible, incredible player, incredible human being. Was that your, uh, your senior year? Was that your first introduction to the Brockett ship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he came in, uh, Maybe it was it my senior year or junior year. I, I can't. Was, I think it was your senior year when I was looking back. But you can never yeah, trust I, the inter- you can't trust the internet these days. So yeah, I remember. I remember uh, Scott Mar telling me we got this six foot four, six foot five righty attackman out of Herkimer coming in, and uh, he was going to be the righty. I was going to be the lefty, and then fast forward. I don't know how many years later he's playing defense in the NLL. So. <laughs> was he any good at attack? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a big target, right? You stick him in the middle and you have a bunch of shifty 
American guys that are switching hands at X that are finding him him in the middle. Like he was, yeah, he was he was a phenomenal player too. Just the big big body and the stack guy in the middle, just catch and shoot. <laughs> Obviously, goal, you know, zero assists. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I mean, it seemed like that was the start to you know what has turned into a well-oiled machine with you oh you albany so must be nice that you know you were there for a lot of the young uh days of the program but it also had to suck that you had to wear those brutal gate buckets wasn't it pretty bad oh boy (laughs) they were terrible so we we uh so when i first got there we were wearing like the rydell lacrosse so they almost look like a bit of like a a football helmet crossover like uh cascade and then we were like oh we're getting new helmets gates coming out with something and we, i remember there was like all this hype around the locker room yeah. like, okay gates coming out with a helmet and then they started pulling those things out and everybody was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah you know you just had to you had to suck it up and wear it obviously but they were terrible i don't i i remember probably like virginia because virginia was a gate sponsor too yeah and i think I don't know what it was. They probably wore them for one season and then they just, they canned them like immediately. I mean, we had to wear them for, I think three. So we, we were stuck with it, but uh, man, those were bad. Yeah. Terrible, terrible lids, <laughs> terrible lids. <laughs> going off that though, how cool is it to see the program, how successful it is and continue just to churn out more and more pro lacrosse players as the years go by. Uh, man, like, it, you know, I, I, I am truly proud to say I went to school there and, you know, where that program has come in, in the years, like, especially like, I mean, we always had strong teams where we were a top 20 program. And then, you know, when Lyle and Miles and those guys came in, they kind of took it to that next level. Um, and it, you know, it, it really, those guys actually put the program on the map and you see guys now that have come through there, like obviously Blaze was there with them as well. Um, you know, TD, Ireland's gone in there. They, they have all these guys now that they're able to, to recruit high profile players based on the fact that, you know, Lyle, Miles, Blaze, all those guys went through that program and kind of brought it to, to the upper echelon of D1. Um, you know, being a, and that honestly, like that was always a challenge. I remember speaking to coach Mar is like, we'd get top tier recruits in, they love, they love coach Mar, they'd love the program, but then they're getting recruited by like a Hopkins or a Syracuse or a Virginia that, you know, are top five teams every year. And, and, you know, they end up going there. So um, I think, having those guys make that commitment to the program when they did just opened up the door for recruiting and, and getting more top level guys back into that school too. It's awesome to see, you know, the alumni train that, that, that program still has continuing on entering the national crossing. I find it miraculous that Scott Mars has been there since the start. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's really built that program from kind of the ground up. I think, I think before he got there, it, it was a, D3 and then had just become a D1 program. Um, since he was there, you know, they were, they were always hovering around like that top 20. Um, but over the years, he's really built that into like a real powerhouse program where, you know, you lose, um, you lose like a th- the Thompsons, but then you're, you're bringing in guys like fields. Right. So yeah. there, you know, it's just, they've had this ability now to, to keep that thing running. And he's, I think, one of the big things that attracted me to, to school there was obviously uh, Coach Mar. Um, he's a very he's he's very much a player's coach in the sense that he's going to coach to your strengths. Um, he loves kind of the run and gun style of lacrosse, where you know, he, like 
play, play against like a Princeton, you know, they get up two two goals and they pass the ball around for, you know, 20 minutes at a time. The old Bill Tierney. Yeah. So uh, he was, he was dead set against that. And I think it attracted a lot of creative offensive players that wanted to play in a program like that. So, you know, kudos to him. Like, I think that was kind of innovation on his part. Um, and, and, you know, he was never the type of coach that would try to fit you into a system. Like he would like perfect example. I would be in a, in a, in a game and, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, okay, this is a situation where I better switch to my, my wrong hand to make this shot or this pass. And he'd be like, Corey, like you haven't played with your wrong hand your entire life. Like throw a backhand if you feel more comfortable doing that, where, you know, a lot of coaches wouldn't give you kind of the free range to do that. Um, do you see a lot of similarities between coach Mar and coach day? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Like very much like, um, great relationships with the players, but then at, at the same time, command the room and command a lot of respect. Um, Paul day does do that a lot as well. Um, and he gives us again, like, you know, when we, when we did some of our team planning this year for offense, um, he opened the floor up to the team, right? He opened the floor up to the old guys to ask, you know, what plays do you have success with in past teams? What have you tried? You know, Corey, what were you guys doing in Buffalo that work? You know, um, Benny Mac, what are you doing in SAS that was working? Let's make a collaborative effort to come up with like our offense this year, which I think is great, right? Then we're all on the same page. We're all accountable for, for our decisions that we make into that program as well. You think anyone's going to shoot at an empty net? Anytime soon. <laughs> hey, here's a good story about this. So, uh, yeah, that was, you know, pretty, uh, you know, those things happen. But uh, so Rambo comes off the floor. Uh, obviously, Paul Day's heated. So he's he's telling him, hey, like, never shoot at an empty net with 15 seconds left in the game. Yeah. But in the same breath, he finishes kind of like giving Rambo a piece of his mind. And he turns to Kyle Marr, who's like in his first or second pro game. He's like, now, Kyle, do you see how this can be a learning experience? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow. I mean, is that not a great? So he's uh, that it's, it's funny. He's got real controlled emotion in that sense, right? Like, hey, I'm going to get my point across that so you effed up, but then I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach somebody else on earth. That's the cop in him, right? <laughs> exactly. That's the cop in him. Exactly. That's incredible. That, that's awesome. Now, when it's, it's crazy to think, but you know, rewind to 2020 when you originally signed with the Wings, it, it's taking you a while, you know, to make your debut. But uh, what was the biggest selling point that when Paul Day was trying to get you to sign with the Wings, what was that moment where you said, you know what, this is the team that I should be signing with. This is the the team I want to move forward with. Yeah, I, I mean. Uh, like I was testing free agency a little bit, um, you know, things weren't kind of going the direction I was hoping they would with Buffalo. So it kind of opened up that door for me to have some conversations with other teams. Um, honestly, like I have a great relationship with, with PD just from playing out in the borough as well as, you know, knowing him kind of through St. Catharines lacrosse and things like that. Um, also like, you know, they, Philly was a strong, strong team. Um, in that shortened season where everything kind of cut off with COVID. Uh, and for me, if I wasn't going to play in Buffalo, I wanted to play for a team that was a, a legit contender. And, um, you know, looking at Philly's roster, having played against them, you know, they beat us, I think seven, six or eight, seven or what it was 
one of our last games of that that COVID season. And then, um, you know, I just have great relationships with a lot of the guys on that room too. So like, you know, Brett Hickey and, and Matisse and Lordy, um, you know, all those guys I've, I've had great relationships with and guys that I've played with in Peterborough. So it just, you know, if it wasn't going to be Buffalo, this was going to be a great fit for me as well. So, uh, and honestly, like I, I couldn't be happier to be where I am. You're, uh, you're off to a bit of a hot start, 20 points, four games. Um, what's been the key for you to fit into that offense and, and to have some early season success? Um, you know, like I, I personally, like playing in Buffalo, I think I was trying to fit more into a, a different role, right? We've got some pretty, they had some pretty athletic guys in that team with Byrne and, and Dane. So I think I took on more of, you know, I've always been a bit of an off-ball player, but I think more in that sense, that team more so than ever um whereas now i think you know i'm taking more of a primary role as a, as a shooter on our left side um i think obviously i think if i'm looking at the way the offenses are structured um you know they're a very athletic offense that goes one-on-one -on -one a lot with defenders where we're more i would say uh goals by committee where it's going to be the ball moves several sticks before we score a goal and um for me, I think that's maybe like an offense that I've grown up playing a lot more. And uh, so I'm finding it a lot easier to really fit in and have success where, um, not that I wasn't having success in Buffalo, just this style seems to fit my game a little bit better. How reassuring is it that, you know, if you do have an off night, there's a good chance that someone else on that floor is going to, you know, has the capability to, to go off and ha have a point night. The depth that you guys have, you know, on that offense Everyone seems when they're talking about, you know, high powered offense, Buffalo's the the name that comes to mind. But when you look at, you know, your scoring right now from top to bottom, everyone seems to be contributing on offense. And if you look at it by a game by game, guys are chipping in more some nights and not so much the other nights. Honestly, playing in this league, that's one of the most important things you can have as an offensive group. Um, it makes it very challenging for a defense to game plan against seven guys that have the ability to score um, versus playing a team that maybe has one or one or two guys that are carrying that scoring load. And I think, you know, what you're seeing potentially is, you know, the New York game, I kind of went off and had a big game. Um, and then maybe defenses focus on me a little bit. And then Crowley goes off and has a big game or Hickey or, or whatever. Right. So it's, it's kind of like one of those situations where you, you as a, as a defense, you kind of pick your poison because if one guy's going to have an off night or you over-focus on one guy, you're opening up opportunities for somebody else. And, um, you know, when you're playing as an offense, that's unpredictable and you don't know who's going to be the guy who's finishing the playoff. I mean, it makes for, you know, a very strong offensive unit. And I think that's going to be, you know, our key to success, uh, essentially, you know, being able to kind of balance the offense out with having multiple guys on, on a given night chip in. You talk about that depth. Um, you look at your left side. What's it like playing with Blaze and Ramble? You, you know, you've mentioned you played with some guys before. You played with Dogger um, a little bit in the borough. What's it like playing with Ramble and Blaze? Well, what I've, I didn't know a whole lot about them going in. Like, I've met Blaze maybe a couple times off the floor. Um, and honestly, like their ability, Blaze especially, his ability off ball to kind of set picks and find lanes and get open. Like, I think I under underestimated his ability as like an off ball player. Like he is very, very talented. I think 
you read and hear so much about him as a field lacrosse goalie that you kind of, it kind of overshadows how good of an offensive player he is in our league too. Um, so, I mean, he's been, he's, he's incredible. He's an incredible player. And then, you know, Rambo, he's a, he's a character. I like him. He's, he's a, he's a fun energy guy in the locker room. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys that kind of keeps everybody, everybody laughing, but in terms of his ability to play, like he, he's another guy, like when you want a big goal, like he, he steps up and, and, and can score a big goal. Um, I mean, sure enough, in that first overtime game, we win the face off, we drop a play, give it to Rambo in the corner, let him come out. And sure enough, first shot goes in. Um, he's another guy that's really picked up the game quickly. Um, I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about or about American players, but there's always this transition where, you know, you see guys that are so good at field lacrosse and then they come into our league and they struggle to find kind of like their role and, and learn the game. Whereas those two guys are, you know, top tier players in this league already. And, you know, I think kind of like the future uh, is bright for both of them. Uh, go ahead, Patty. I was just going to say, we were talking earlier about how much success you guys have had offensively throughout the year. The one game against Toronto, you guys were dealing with a lot of COVID. You weren't in the lineup, but last week it seemed like, that Albany defense did give you guys a little bit of fits. What were they doing so well, you know, to hold you guys to single digits? Yeah, they, you know what, they did a great job. Um, they play kind of like, like a bit of like a zone where they pack it in um, and they kind of force you in a way to take those mid range shots or outside shots early. Uh, I think, I think Dougie had a, a great game against us as well. I think at the end of the day, um, I know a lot of us talked about this in the locker room. We had a lot of great opportunities early on in that game where we didn't cash in. And I think, you know, as an offensive player, like, you know, obviously part of the, part of the process is to get the opportunity, but the other part of it is to finish the ball and score, which I think we struggled, right? We were, you know, we were getting those shots, but, you know, maybe our shooting was off a little bit, hitting them kind of center mass versus, you know, shooting along the pipes. And I don't know if that, you know, what translates to that, um, maybe it's just more attention to detail and practice or shoot around. But, uh, I think, honestly, I think that was the big difference. Um, you know, I thought they shot better than we did really. Um, it wasn't a lack of opportunities. It was just more or less a lack of ex execution shooting the ball. All right. Uh, time for the power play. Five quick questions, five quick answers. Patrick, you're up. Have you had, it's a little bit of a two-parter. Have you had a cheese steak yet in Philly? And if so, which is the best one so far? I am ashamed to say I haven't, I haven't yet. Oh, you're going to have to change that for sure. I, I know, you know, I do. I really do. I, How have you not gone for like late night post-game cheesesteaks? Man, honestly, like I'm funny. I'm so cautious about where I go post-game because like I was like, I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to yeah, get sure it. Enough. And then yeah. uh, sure enough, I, I get it anyways, but... <laughs> <laughs> I got that. I've got that positive test. So I've kind of got the golden ticket now to come and come and go across the border. So I'll have to make <laughs> sure I get out for one. Um, what would Lauren have done if you would have missed one of the pillows on that couch? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Oh man. Probably just yelled at me and then made me get some drywall to fix it up. But <laughs> I don't know. She does. I, she gets a, uh, she gets pretty frustrated. She can hear me pounding the couch with the ball like upstairs and she'll yell down at me. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, favorite arena to play in, and you can't say Wells Fargo to uh, play to the uh, the new Wings fans. Uh, easy one for me, and it's just Buffalo, simply because I grew up watching Buffalo play my entire life, and it was uh, it was always special to go play there, even as an away team. Uh, you have twelve game winners in your career. What's the secret to success in crunch time? I don't know. I uh, for me, I want the ball in that situation. And uh, got a few shots I've practiced over and over again. And then I just go back to the well each time. Here we are teaching our kids not the same, shoot the same spot twice. And the guy with 12 game winners just keeps going back to the well. Great stuff, Corey. Perfect example here. So Kevy Alexander, you know how prolific he is. He would, I would say to him, like, I shot that one top left last time. I should go here. And he'd go, nope, keep shooting the same shot until he saves it. So there you go. Fair enough. That's awesome. All right, last one here. Favorite fan from Victoria who also owns a used car center. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I don't want to. No, I'm just kidding. Jim Ellis is an awesome dude. Um, he's. I, I will say, like, um, he's always taken care of, like everybody. Like, gone above and beyond to take care of guys. I know. For me, like help me sell my truck when I need to sell my truck, help when we were moving back, help Lauren get kind of like quotes and pricing for her car when she's trying to sell it. And then, you know, a guy that's kind of, you know, <laughs> cars break down on the side of the road. Don't worry, guys, leave them there. We'll get them later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's an unreal guy. And um, yeah, I, it's always, I know I'm kind of giving a long answer here, but uh, I, it's always kind of special when you see somebody that doesn't have a ton of ties to the sport become so, so involved. Um, like you can tell, you know, like my parents have been fans of lacrosse because I've played lacrosse where, you know, he's a fan of it because for other reasons. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those are special people in my eyes personally. Uh, Jimmer is a beauty. I think everyone that's played out West, <laughs> that's not like everyone that's relocated for a season or two, has a story about Jim Ellis and yeah. it's awesome. He, and the cool thing is, is you see those fans everywhere you go. Like I remember yeah. when I played in Rochester, you know, fans would show up to my radio interviews at 6am with bagels and donuts, and they would make sure you had food post game. They would show up to your practices and, and have food trays out for you and stuff like that. So um, everyone's got a Jim Ellis story and everyone's got a, got a great fan story as well. Um, that's a power play. Uh, you don't win anything. Uh, I was just going to say it. I was just going to say, so Jim Ellis, when I moved out to Victoria, he gave me this purple Dodge Stratus. I think it was, we yeah. called it, we called it the purple genie. Um, so <laughs> I remember I was ripping down the highway one and all of a sudden heard this like bang. And I like, look, <laughs> I look out my mirrors and all four hubcot hubcaps shot off the car. <laughs> we're going down the street and some lady, she's like, pulls up next to me quick and she's like your hubcaps like she's like melting me through the window and we're just like don't worry about it it's not worth <laughs> it we just kept going <laughs> i uh i was driving to a game one year and i saw gibby larson sundown and a couple other guy, other guys stranded on the side of the road by their car and so i pulled over and like hey guys do you need a ride they're like nope jim's coming with a six-seater to pick us all up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. That's um, awesome. All right, back into it. Uh, two big games this weekend for you guys, but a doubleheader, but a rare home doubleheader. Um, obviously, that kind of changes things, but how nice is it knowing that after that game, you don't have to get on a plane and fly somewhere? 
uh, it's incredible. I I don't recall in my career having a home and home doubleheader. So um, those are always so challenging when you go home and away or away and away and you've got some kind of weird flight time either after the game or early morning and uh, trying to maintain like your typical routine. So uh, it's, I mean, it's an important weekend for us, obviously two Eastern conference games. And it's nice that we get to host them both at home and, you know, just be able to, to play and then go back to the hotel and kind of shut her down and, um, you know, kind of get into a normal routine for the Sunday game as well. How nice so is all- afternoon? Yeah, go ahead, Patty. No, no, go ahead. Go How ahead. How nice is afternoon lacrosse? <laughs> afternoon lacrosse? Uh, I, you know what? I'm, I'm more of a fan of the night games. I will say, though, the afternoon games are, are nice when, uh, when you can get out there, the same, get, get home the same day after the, afterwards. But I, or you're not playing, you get to watch them. They're yeah. nice to watch, maybe not so great to play. True. I'm a, I'm very much like I have a, a, a strong routine of what I do on game day, whether it's like a certain time I eat, this time I take a nap and start getting ready for the game. And when you got to try to shrink that into like a 12 hour window, it's, it can be challenging, but yeah, for, for the fan experience to be able to watch a game at, at noon and then another game or two games at night, like it's been, I know, I know I've loved it. Like being able to watch the play at play at noon, then watch the seven o'clock or eight 30 game as well. It's been pretty cool. So for we we talked about the you know the positives of a home and home doubleheader. Um, it's also just nice that you know in in the game of lacrosse and the NLL you don't really have all that time to get into the groove you know with a bunch of practices during the week. So you kind of get in the groove for that second game. But with that being said, how much more difficult is it to game plan for a doubleheader in a weekend when you're playing two different teams? Yeah, I, I mean obviously you try to put the majority of your focus throughout the week on that first game on the Saturday. Um, and it, at, at the end of the day, like as an offensive unit, um, you know, our focus is, you know, we try to pick up a couple tendencies of the defense, but as an offensive player, um, you know, we're trying to dictate what that defense is going to do. So we're going to try to exert our game plan onto them versus be reactionary. I think that was probably part of our problem with uh with Albany as we were a little more reactionary in that game and didn't really exert our, our game plan to them. Um, so I think with us, we're going to focus probably on some film. We've already had some film breakdown, um, focus on the first game and then, you know, do what you can in that short amount of time to kind of prep and, and watch film leading into game two. Uh, one more each from us. Um, and it ties perfectly into my next question. How much has film and film prep and watching film developed since you first came in the league and, and how much of a film guy are you now? Uh, it has changed <laughs> dramatically since <laughs> I first came in. Um, you know, I like, basically you would just watch raw film when I first came in the league and you would have kind of like certain points of the game kind of pinpointed where you'd like fast forward to that point or whatever. Um, now with some of the programs that we have, it's, it's pretty incredible to be able to sort by like player by shot or goalie by goal or save. Um, I'm, I'm a huge film guy. Like I personally, I like to watch kind of all the goals against for the team we're playing all the shots um, to get an idea of like what, you know, what processes other teams have done, like whether it's like a certain pick and roll or, you know, um, offensive sets that have worked or power play sets that have worked. I watch a ton. I, I'll probably watch a little bit every day personally. Um, and for me, like 
I, I always just try to find like the tendencies of the goalie, right? Like if he's pinching his knees in, then I know like, okay, there's going to be openings here when I shoot. So um, those are kind of the main things I look at more so is just what's worked for other teams and then kind of trying to figure out what a goalie's tendencies would be going into the game. Last one for me, um, you know, you're a St. Kitts boy, um, an athletic alumni. How cool was it to see uh, the double blue win their first Ontario title since 03? Uh, I mean, it was incredible. I was, I helped out with the, um, with the young guns team. So like the younger junior kids, um, so I was around the older kids a bunch, helped out a bunch of their practices leading into the weekend. Yeah, it, it's it's a special moment, right? Like for me, I was I wasn't fortunate enough to win one. Um, I know for kids in that junior age, it's one of like you know the greatest memories they've ever had playing with Cross is winning a Minto Cup. The ones that have had that opportunity to do so. So um, to see those kids be able to do it. Um, was was special like I mean I kind of was living vicariously through them it, it just felt like secondhand like I had I had won one so um I'm hoping I'm hoping they can bring back another really strong team and um, if I could have some involvement in it in any way not necessarily as a coach but if I can come out again and help out with some practices just to kind of be around it um yeah it was it was special and um obviously too with kind of the how things have been with COVID over the last few years and not being able to play and then the league kind of coming in really quickly and sudden, suddenly and having to try to put together some kind of season. Um, I think those kids did an amazing job, you know, prioritizing kind of their lives to be able to make that happen and um, to see them kind of culminate in that in that championship was was truly special and it's, you know, we've Growing up in St. Catharines, we've always been known as kind of like a championship organization. It felt like for a number of years, we got away from that that title, and it's kind of great to see it finally come full circle and be back in St. Catharines again. It's a bit bittersweet, though, knowing that, you know, they were set to host the Minto. It was a team that was so strong, and obviously you're never going to complain about a championship, uh, but you just wonder, you know, if, if everything kind of didn't happen uh, with COVID, like, is this a, a Minto Cup instead of an Ontario Championship? But you, you're not, you're never going to say no to a, a title. I say, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know what it is? It's, you know, I, I don't even think of, I like, honestly, like thinking of, um, like, back in, I think it was 2005 or six. I can't remember the year, the last year before that when they won it, when won the Minto. Um, the crowds in the arena, like, sold out crowds, standing room only, like just an incredible experience to be around. Um, like, you know, you wish that those kids would have got to experience that with with their championship, whether whether it was the Ontario Championship or the Minto Cup, um, either or. Um, so that was, you know, that that part of it kind of kind of sucked that they didn't get to experience it. But at the end of the day, um, they got to win the Ontario Championship. Their names are going to be on that trophy. It's going to be a a memory that they're going to have for a lifetime. Um, and I think that's. You know, the destination is a big part of it, but the journey is also a big part of it as well. So it'll be good for those kids growing up, going on forward. Your journey uh, yourself has been an excellent one, my friend. Uh, congratulations on your success so far with the Wings. Good luck this weekend, and we'll catch up soon, brother. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you having me out here. That is Corey Small of the Philadelphia Wings, the kitten. What? a picture that is of him from his early <laughs> days in Albany, just 
bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, has no idea what the world has to offer. But it's just really cool to see, you know, guys that have been in the league for so long and to go back and think, man, like I forgot he went to the University of Albany and he played with Merrick and he played with Frankie Rez and, you know, a, a young David Brock out of fresh out of Herkimer Juco. Like it's pretty cool to look back on some of those guys career and where they started, not just in their junior days, but, you know, some of these guys that were at, in college before, you know, their star status really took off. Yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we talked about it, uh, that, that Albany program, when you think Albany, you think like the first time they really started to make some noise was, you know, when the Thompsons were there, but you know, they, they really started to get going when, you know, small and those other Canadians were around Mayor Thompson, like <sighs> that's really when coach Mar really found his stride. And he said it like T like, you know, crafty run and gun, offensive players and I mean that does blend well to the box players and to the Canadians and you know the Haudenosaunee but even those American players like the you know the fields the guys mm -hmm. that like to play fast and like to play creative why would you not go to a team like that and I think we have seen more coaches you know in D1 and even D2 and D3 kind of start to play that because they recognize how one successful it can be to how it is a recruiting tool. I think we're going to see more of it, you yeah. know, in, in the field game because the success that we even saw in the PLL with the chaos and with mm -hmm. Andy towers. Yeah. And Andy towers uh, sidebar adding more Canadian weapons to his arsenal <laughs> this past week and is very much on the, I need Reed Bowering in my lineup. Uh, oh my train as well. Imagine <laughs> like you might as well just make an all Canadian team out of every Canadian player in the league. Just do it. It's getting to that point. I saw he, and that's the thing. Like, so when we, we kind of were talking about in one of our group chats about how Andy Towers liked that tweet um, that, that our boy Ado threw out saying that Reed Bowering doesn't get quite enough hype that you could argue he's been just as impressive, if not more impressive than, than Jeff T. He liked that tweet. And then you see him quote tweet, a beautiful play from Challen Rogers. Can't remember if it was one of his his goals or his assists, and just put LFG. So <laughs> you know yeah. he's fired up to get a guy like Challen Rogers, who he didn't get an opportunity to have. But then you imagine you put a guy like Reed Bowering, who played attack. Yeah, you know, and they're his, probably gonna add Curtis. They could ask Curtis Dixon to their pool. Like there you go. So now you run a guy like Bowering on, on D mid with with Rogers. Like oh God. I know this is a box across show mainly, but boy, that is going to be an interesting summer to see what that team evolves into. Um, before we move on to week eight in the National Lacrosse League, um, throughout the league, the, the, the teams are getting better at content and social media content, and they're starting to put more time and investments into those areas. But Halifax really is above and beyond what you know with with what chuck and austin and uh, tyson geik are doing it is just head and shoulders above anybody else and they put out another halifax 360 this week just a ton of behind the scenes stuff and i know it's hard for some teams to do and i know it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of investment a lot of money to make that happen but I wish more teams would bite that bullet 
and jump on that train. San Diego does a great job. You know, Vancouver's trying to, to find their niche, but there's other teams that are just completely dormant when it comes to social media or interacting on social media. What is it going to take, do you think, for everybody to kind of jump on this train and see the vitalness and the importance of having quality content? I think it's going to take the league saying, listen, guys, like this is unacceptable. Like we saw it a few years ago when the league signed that deal with Bleacher Report. They basically said like we're investing X amount of dollars each team to make sure that you're bringing in a proper crew that has proper HD cameras. And Mm -hmm. I think they're going to say like, listen, you have to have, you know, A, B and C certain staff or freelancers coming in to produce this content. What I would like to see that maybe bridges that gap. And I know it's difficult, like, you know, Halifax does a great job, like for, for just to give it a little bit of an insight to, to Thunderbirds 360 for those home games that we've seen, you know, they have, you know, they have uncharted media who is a local, these guys are awesome. They're a local company that helps shoot some of the stuff that Tyson does when he produces. And obviously we know the lucky penny guys as well, but on the road this week for this episode, it was just Tyson. So all that footage that you see, it's either raw footage from the broadcast or him Mm -hmm. and he's editing everything together. So it's possible. You don't need to bring in a ton of different, you know, media conglomerates and companies to, to produce high quality stuff. If you have one or two guys or girls in place that can do it a hundred percent. But what I was trying to say before I got onto that tank, <laughs> I would love to see the NLL go to approach where maybe they create some sort of behind the scenes mm-hmm. documentary show. Like we saw how successful the Netflix show was for F1. And now we're seeing tennis getting involved and we're seeing the PGA tour is doing one in uh, through Netflix. And I can't wait for that. That one's going to be um, like it. And I but, think, you know, hard knocks with the NFL has done it. Yeah. You know, the, the NHL has done with you know, the roads, the winter classic and things like that. Yeah. I, but for, but, but for F1, like this is a, a, a sport that I literally without the exception of gambling would have zero interest in watching. I've never been a, a, a motorsports fan, just hasn't been for me. I watched the Netflix documentary and watch a couple of races when nothing was going on in, in the sporting world during the first go of COVID. Yeah. And I was hooked and yeah. I still enjoy it. And I love it. So for a niche sport like lacrosse, and I know it might be tough to get on Netflix or Hulu or any sort of these platforms. You if you can get on, you can do it on YouTube or you can like, I don't know, ESPN plus. Yeah. yeah, yeah There's yeah. a platform that you can have it on. Yeah. TSN yeah. direct. Good point. I mean, yeah. there's people who, you know, there's people who are in place that are doing tremendous things for the national lacrosse league and they're great thinkers. And I'm sure this has been Disgusting. a point of discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, how do you make that happen? All right, let's get to week eight, uh, three games, two teams uh, playing back to back games. Uh, so it's Friday night. Georgia at Rochester, uh, Dan Carey, my good friend, our good friend, gets a two-year contract extension as their general manager. That's a huge vote of confidence for him, um, you know, and really only his second year, first real full year as a general manager of that broadcast uh, or of that team. Georgia, we talked about the goal differential for New York. Georgia is minus four in goal differential. And that's where I talk about if they just get some saves from Mike Poulin, this is a team that's better than one and two. 
They're pesky, man. Right? They're pesky. They they hung around in that Buffalo game. And if they can just get a few more saves, I, I, I don't think they're in as much trouble as people think. They're still young. They've lost some key pieces that, you know, they lost Randy. They don't have Miles. Um, but they still have Jackal. They still have Hall. They still have Lyle. And their young guys are starting to pick up their play. So I don't think this team is as bad as their record shows. But the Night Ducks have been off since December 18th. Uh, that went over Albany. So this could be, you know, that good chance for Georgia, but we all know Rochester is a team that's thinking they're for real. Yeah. This one I think is the game that I'm most excited to watch just based on the fact that, uh, you know, I, I really like the way this Georgia team has constructed in a quote unquote rebuild year because they've lost so much, but they still have, an MVP caliber, two MVP calibers, you could players, you could say, and Shane Jackson and Lyle Thompson. What Thompson is doing right now, if George is able to sneak into the playoffs and if he can continue at this clip, there is no reason why he shouldn't be the MVP. But their defense is starting. I thought they had a little bit of a, you know, of a drop off last week, but they're playing Buffalo, who's a nightmare to defend. But I thought they've been making stride. They have a lot of young guys. And I agree. I mentioned it on coast to coast i mentioned last week you've said it pool and has to be better doesn't have to be elite doesn't have to steal the show just make those saves that you need to make and on the flip side rochester this is a massive game and you feel for them because it's been you know more than a month since you last seen them there's so much momentum built with this team they have that big win against albany you know they they had the goalie fight you know all eyes are on this rochester team all their young players are playing great and then COVID, you know, ravages that team. Mm-hmm. And now we haven't seen them in a long time. I'm, I'm interested to see how they play in that layoff. We saw Halifax start really hot and then the wheels fall off. Are they going to be a team that maybe eases things in and then put the afterburners on near the end? Or what's what can you expect from them? But I agree with you. This is a spot that Georgia has to be foaming at the mouth saying, this is a get right spot for us. They've got the cold legs. We finally have found a groove. Let's pounce here, fellas. Uh, hopefully we get to see Ryland Hartley for 60 minutes. And, but I don't know. Maybe we want to see him fight again. Who knows? Hartley <laughs> versus Poulin. Like, can you imagine? Um, so Rochester plays at home on Friday night. Uh, they got a whip down to Philadelphia for a game the next night. Uh, I'm, I'm on this goal differential thing this week. I don't know why. Um, Wings have a zero goal differential. They're even goals for goals against they need to find some consistency and they need to have a convincing win. They're going to get a team that played the night before. They're going to get a team that's traveled. They're going to get a team that's tired. They're going to be fresh. They're going to be rested. They cannot let this game slip away. They cannot add to the stat of NLL teams winning on second days of back-to-backs. Do you think that the reason their goal differential is like that is just because they find themselves in close games? Doesn't matter if they're playing the last place team. A thousand percent. They are. They're like their record. Is, oh, they're what three and one right now? Or two, uh, two three, losses now. Yeah, three and two. I think right now. So, um, you know, what are they? Are they a three and two team? Are they a two and three team? They could be really either way when you throw in those you know overtime games. But again. You know, save here or there, and, and that's a little bit different. But uh, I think, you know, and listen to what Hall, what Smallsy had to say and, and the group that they have, I think this team is going to be okay. They're going to start to find some cohesion. 
But if Rochester can pull off a double this weekend and they improve to four and one, what does that say about the East and what does it say about the Nighthawks? It says that the East is an absolute gauntlet and that it's going to be a dog fight for, for a playoff spot. If they can come out four and one, they're right in the mix. Then now all of a sudden, you know, they could be battling for a, for home four advantage. Like now all of a sudden you got to be thinking Toronto and, and Georgia are like, we're screwed. Like mm-hmm. we are in tough. But with that being said, that's going to be a tough task to win both. I think if you split, I think you're happy. If that was it's like, if you can split, you're happy. If you don't, then now probably everyone in their minds are saying, ah, this is Rochester of last year. They're improved, but they're not quite there. It's it's sort of a, if they win two, they're like, okay, we don't have to worry about, you know, maybe trying to get that flex playoff spot. If they lose two, they're like, okay, we really got to grind our gears here for that flex playoff spot. It's, it's yeah. a really bit of a tipping point for the season. And then in the same time, so Philly plays Saturday at home. Then they get a four o'clock game Sunday against New York. New York could catch a tired Philly team and get a very much needed win. But as we have stressed, if they do not get off to a hot start and they do not get good goaltending early, it will be a very long night. hundred percent. And I think the worst thing that could happen for them, for, for New York would be if Rochester does in fact win that second game of their weekend and Philly comes into that building rested. Uh, you better believe there's a short leash for them <laughs> be a quick dinner and home back yeah. to the hotels yeah. and an early shoot around. And those guys are going to be pissed off and wanting to, to have some rent revenge. And on the flip side though, even if they do pick up the win, they're probably thinking, all right, boys, like well-rested, you know, we don't have to hop on a plane today. Mm-hmm. Like we're, you know, tonight we're going back to bed. We're waking up during the, the friendly confines of the city of brotherly love. And they go back to Wells Fargo and all is good. So this here, I mean, most times, and I mean, it's crazy because you mentioned it, the back-to-back and the game of lacrosse for whatever reason, that second game seems to actually be pretty good. Yeah. for the team that's playing the, the doubleheader. Now you throw in that wrinkle that they're not flying and they're not having to worry about travel. This is a tough game for, for the Riptide. I think yeah. for the non-traditional lacrosse fan, you're thinking like, oh, back-to-back, like Riptide are going to come here. They're going to get their first win. It's going to be a lot more challenging, especially if they start slow like we saw them, you know, in their last game. Callum Crawford, yeah. he's, he's putting up numbers. Don't get me wrong, but that game, that last game, he just did not seem no, you know, like himself. No, he didn't. And and I think that's that might be a concern for for Dan Lattisur, for Jim Beltman in that group. Like once T is healthy that he is and he and becomes more part of that offense, you can't allow Callum Crawford to lose his aggressiveness. You still want, you know, Jeff T to be your number one threat, but you still need Callum Crawford going to that and scoring those goals like he did it just keeping his toe out of the crease, you know, like that's what he can do. He can be a game changer. You still need him to be that. And I think that has to be, you know, a focal point for New York. Now, if he did now, I will say he did have seven assists, yes. but like 
I would be interested to see how many of those were first secondary yeah, and yeah. Who, how many were first. He had 10 shots, zero goals. That's just not Callum Crawford. And yeah. if if that's offensive, I apologize, but I just hold Callum Crawford to a much higher standard. Mm-hmm. I think we all do. And I think he probably does too. Yeah. Um, do you think, like, we know they're going to watch the game. Do you think they're all in attendance at that game? Do you think the Riptide go to Wells Fargo? Oh. Are, they, are they in the arena watching or are they all back at their home watching on ESPN Plus? I actually never even thought of that. I'd never, I would probably lean towards the fact that they probably will not be there just because it's kind of, you can, I don't know. I don't know. That's tough. That's a great question. I don't you know. You can go, you can watch in person, you can go back to your hotel and you can, you know, watch back the replay. But I don't know. I think I kind of get a better sense watching a game in person than I do sometimes on film. Well, it's like the the old minor lacrosse days. You know, you're you know, you're playing in the gold medal final and you play in that first semifinal. You you know, you have your 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 snacks, your your you know, you get the orange slices in you. And then you stick around to watch watch the other game to see who you're playing. I don't know. Maybe I, that did not even cross my mind. <laughs> Sometimes my mind thinks at, at high rates of speed. Um, what it doesn't do is do odds very well. That's why you're our box bets guru. Let's try and win you some money. Time now for box bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, we went three for three last weekend, and thankfully it's because you picked everything. Um, so let's keep it going. Um, again, only three games this weekend, so your chances of picking a real winner kind of get narrowed. But I think yeah. you got us dialed. The thing is, and I will say, and this isn't good for business, so cool bet, plug your ears. <laughs> Just because there are games this weekend, if there's something on the board that you, you know, if nothing jumps out at you, don't feel like you have to bet. That's the thing. The, that, that if there's something that really, really jumps out to you, go for it. But there are some times where, you know, if something doesn't speak to you, you probably don't have a lean on it. But with that being said, this parlay right here is speaking to you. You don't have to play the. You don't have to play any other bet this week. This is the only bet you need to play, and I'm feeling really good about this one. Nighthawks plus one and a half against the Swarm. Then the very I think next, they day, have to lose or be within one and a half. Correct. Okay. They do not have to win that game. Just keep it within one. I think that they might even win. So I think getting a plus one and a half, we're laughing at this point. Okay. Next, very next game, the Wings to beat the very same Nighthawks team that we had. Just on the money line, just have to win. Just a straight up win. Yep. Can win by a billion, could win by one, could win by in overtime. Doesn't matter. And then finally, our third leg of the parlay, Wings, Riptide, over 21 and a half. You add all those together. Plus 400. Was plus 349, but the folks at CoolBet have boosted that all the way up to 400. So, Love that. 
Love that. One last um, week. Yeah. We're on a heater. Comfortably. As they say. We're on a heater. We got um, I got a couple side ones for you. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Saturday night wings minus two and a half at plus 110. Oh, feeling confident. With feeling that. confident. And then uh, Sunday, I'm taking rip plus one and a half at plus 120. Okay. All righty. All righty. I like that. So, okay. I, I, uh, the thing with that too, is I, I think I talked about it last week, but I want to run through it again. I, I, I just think it's something that the casual sports better needs to know. So when you go to cool bet, you see that little arrow, click the arrow and you'll see, you'll be able to get an alternate line. And that's exactly what Teddy did. Cause I know there's going to be someone who's going to log on a cool bet and say, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Teddy said, New York plus one and a half. I only see it plus two and a half at minus 110. Well, no, if you click that button, you can actually get it down to plus one and a half. And that's where you get it at plus 128. So now Teddy's getting a little more value. He thinks the game's going to be a little bit closer. So you can also work that the other way because Philly, they're favored by two and a half. And if you do not think Philly, you think they're going to win, you don't want to met, bet them on the money line because it's minus 278, just too juicy there. You, you you want some better odds. You can get that down to minus one and a half at minus 156. So you can also do that with the over and the under as well. So for me, I think this feature, especially for building parlays, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only exclusive for the NLL at coolbet.com. Uh, what's your, uh, we're, we are a lacrosse show, but, um, I'm very interested in your golf cuts this week. I don't know why you would be because last <laughs> week was a disaster. I'm, I'm boy, confident you're going to bounce back. You're going to bounce Our back. Canadian boy, Taylor Pendrith was the one who let us down, but it's okay. Um, this week for the Greggy's golf special. And Again, don't go to the boosted odd specials where you normally will find, you know, our parlay um, and some of the other parlays that are out there. Just go to where the American Express is, click specials, and this is where you'll find mine. The Greggy Golf Specials. Answer, Connors, Gooch, and Kim, all to make the cut at plus 265. Connors, Gooch, Kim, plus 265, all make the cut. Roger. Where go. do they do and all this, course, Pat? How do they get that little bonus and all that good stuff? Well, that's a great. Well, if you are new to Coolbet or mm-hmm. thinking about it, you want to log on coolbet.com, make an account, and then you're going to see that little green button in the top right hand corner. Click that. It's going to say deposit. And you're going to type in O T C B and then hit enter. And then however much money you decide to put in that count, up to $200, fine folks at CoolBet are going to double your deposit terms and conditions do apply. And you know what they say, Pat? Stay cool. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. Uh, All right. Week eight uh, is a couple days away. Uh, Your ESPN game of the week is Georgia at Rochester. It will be Mitch Belisle. It will be Brendan Glasheen. It will be Devin Caney. It will be a fantastic game. It'll start the weekend. Three games, Georgia at Rochester Friday. Rochester at Philadelphia Saturday. And then 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, New York at Philadelphia. Um, 
you kind of mentioned that Georgia Rochester game, but is there one game that you're most intrigued about? For sure, that's the game that I'm most excited for. But I think the one that might have the most implications going forward for one specific team is that Sunday afternoon game with New York. I really think that if they win, it can change the trajectory of their season. Now, if they lose, I'm not saying it's over. They need to pack it in, blow everything up, and build for the future. It's just going to be way, 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 way more difficult. But if they can come back after almost getting their first win of the season, forcing overtime, I think you can build off that momentum that they had in the second half. I just think that it's just – it's you look at all the other teams, I think that – you know, they have more wiggle room and, and, and more air, you know, more room for air. Whereas this riptide team, if they come out with an L it, it could, it could get ugly for mm-hmm. the rest of the way. Uh, I, How about yourself? It, yeah. I, I'm, I, 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 as much as Friday night game, the ESPN game is going to be intriguing um, because I think that's a real, who are you game for those two teams? I want to see Philadelphia and Rochester go toe to toe. I just, if if Rochester kind of stumbles against Georgia, okay, but we all kind of think this is a team that can compete. Let's see how they compete on the second night of a back-to-back. And I really want to see Philadelphia come out and, and have a strong performance. Like we need to see them have a convincing win. I think it'll be that Friday night with, with everything that's going on over the weekend, um, the home and home, everything. I think they need to come out with a win that first night. So um, you can watch all the games on tsn.ca, ESPN+. Plus. TSN Direct, or of course that Friday night game on ESPN. Uh, I'm not sure if it's ESPN News or where on the ESPN channel. I think it's the U. I think it's the ESPN U. U. It's the ESPN U. All right. Wherever you can get it, you'll be able to get it. Uh, we're not calling games this weekend, either of us. Oh. So uh, if you're not busy Friday night before that game, come hop on Twitter Spaces. We'll be there breaking down all the games, talking with a slew of guests uh, over the weekend. It's been a lot of fun. Um, just chopping it up with the ladies and the gentlemen's on the Twitter spaces. So that'll be that um, new run of every child matter shirts are available through the NLL shop.com or fanatics.ca. I was able to get mine. I hope you can get yours. You can also get uh, exclusive team merchandise, have your best look for every game that you ever go to again, fanatics.ca up here in Canada or NLL shop.com in the United States. Patrick, final thoughts. Again, it's unfortunate that it's such a small weekend of lacrosse. We lost the Bandits, Thunderbirds game. You know, we lost uh, your TSN game of the week as well, but we still have games. Mm -hmm. And I think they're very intriguing games. And the fact that we even have games right now is something to be excited for. The fact that we're maybe getting a little bit picky here just shows you that hey little voice in the back of your head has to remind you it was a long not too long ago where we didn't have any lacrosse so just be thankful for the lacrosse that we've got we made it to week eight we're marching towards week nine and next thing you know we'll be strutting to the playoffs he's at p greggy i'm at teddy jenner you can find the show at otcb underscore podcast or for over on instagram otcb podcast we appreciate the time you've spent listening to us uh we love to ramble it's one of our quirky traits that everyone loves um we also appreciate the time Corey small gave us uh love chatting with the kitten 
Um, good luck to him. Good luck to the Wings. And good luck to all the teams playing this weekend. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.